AM850KFUO Worldwide, KFUO.org. We are the messenger of good news. It is a Tuesday afternoon. It's time now for our moment in creation with Pastor Warren Worth of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Good afternoon, Pastor Worth. Good afternoon, Gary. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. And you? I'm doing great. What do you want to talk about today? Well, today I would like to address the question, are so-called beneficial mutations proof of evolution? To answer that question, I'm going to refer our listeners, first of all, to articles that go into more detail than we'll have time to do today ourselves. The first article I would like to recommend to people is uh, at AnswersInGenesis.org, and the article is Mutations, Yes, Evolution, No, by Dr. Gary Parker. It was posted March 28th of 2016, and that's an interesting article that helps uh, very much in this question. And another is actually a chapter from the book, the New Answers book number four. Chapter 24 is entitled Beneficial Mutations, and the article was written by Dr. Georgia Purdom of Answers in Genesis, and this article is also posted to their website July 11 of 2020. Very interesting article. So uh, a lot of times people will say, well, we know evolution is true because of things like uh, bacteria that become resistant to antibiotics. Doesn't that prove evolution? And the answer is no, it doesn't. And so let me give you the short answer here quickly and, and summarize a few points, and people can get more in-depth if they're interested by going to these articles to okay. which we just referred. Are you, are you also going to define a beneficial mutation for us? Let's talk about this right now. First okay. of all, what is a mutation? A mutation would be an accidental mistake, as it were, in the copying of the encoded information in an organism's DNA. So God created living things, and in those living things, there's instructions how to, to replicate, and those instructions are in DNA. And when that DNA copies properly, then you replicate that same uh, organism or cell or what have you. If there's a mistake in the copying of that, that would be a mutation. Most mutations are either lethal or semi-lethal. In other words, if you know, it's like you're copying a sentence, typing out a sentence over and over and over again. You make a mistake. The more mistakes you make, the harder it is to read something. It doesn't right. get better. You know? So like a typographical error when you're typing would be like what's happening when there's a mutation. And, and most mutations would, would either be lethal, they, they kill something, or they're semi-lethal. They're not usually going to be beneficial. Sometimes they're neutral. They don't affect one way or the other uh, the organism's ability to survive. And occasionally there are some that are even beneficial. So let's talk about that. So Georgia Purdom in her article says, Do beneficial mutations exist? It says, while beneficial mutations may not result in the origin of novel traits necessary to go from molecules to man, they do exist, sort of. Let me explain. It is more appropriate to say that some mutations have beneficial outcomes in certain environments. Mutations are context-dependent, meaning their environment determines whether the outcome of the mutation is beneficial. One well-known example of a proposed beneficial mutation is antibiotic resistance in bacteria. In an environment where antibiotics are present, mutations in the bacteria, bacterial DNA allow the bacteria to survive. However, these same mutations come at the cost of damaging the normal functions of the bacteria, such as the ability to break down nutrients, 
And if the antibiotics are removed, the antibiotic-resistant bacteria typically do not fare as well as the normal or wild-type bacteria that have not been affected by mutations. Thus, the benefit of any given mutation is not an independent quality, but rather a dependent quality based on the environment. I think that's a very helpful thing to understand uh, overall, because particularly when you're reading articles by people who believe in evolution, and they talk about something like bacteria developing resistance to antibiotics, they say, ah, that proves evolution, when that's not the case, because you're not developing new traits or new functions. Typically, what's happening is you're losing information and losing some function or some specificity of a particular function that this organism has, which in that particular environment can turn out to have an outcome that makes it able to survive when the normal ones would not survive. And so it's kind of an interesting thing as you understand this, but it does not involve, and, and nobody has ever shown that you can increase the information and come up with new organs, new functions, new traits that were not already existing in the organism before you started messing with the, the mutation. So that's a very, very important uh, thing to bear in mind as we talk about these things. And as you read these articles, uh, Dr. Purdom has some really inf interesting information here, and she gives numerous examples, more than we can get into right now, but our listeners who are interested in the subject can read the article for themselves. Um, what you, what you wind up with is that you find out that God's creation is even more interesting and more complex than anybody even thought. And so besides this matter of being able to, um, if you accidentally change the code, what would happen, you also have the fact that God apparently built into creation in every created kind ability to adapt within a certain limited range. So, for example, there has been a lot of experiments by this Dr. Richard Lenski, uh, an evolutionary biologist from Michigan State University, who in 1988 began culturing 12 identical lines of E. coli. And now he's gone like over 60,000 generations. It's been going on for, you know, 30 years here, and he keeps, keeps the experiment going. But now bear, you have to bear in mind that these E. coli are being replicated in a very carefully controlled laboratory environment. They're not out in nature. And so he can watch what happens to them over many, many generations. Like I said, it's been over 60,000 generations. But what you understand is the E. coli are still E. coli. And some of the things that he gets excited about and evolutionists get excited about, they say, oh, we came up with this new function that now uh, uh, the, these E. coli are able to, uh, to metabolize uh, citrate. Well, it turns out, and that, that gets advertised, like, oh, proof of evolution, proof of evolution, a completely new trait. And then when you do more research on this, you say, well, as a matter of fact, in the wild, in nature, E. coli can do this. They do it particularly when oxygen levels are low. And so when oxygen levels are high, they normally don't use citrate for energy. But when oxygen levels are low, they do. So the trait was already existing. It's just that it express, expressed itself in a way that it hadn't before in the laboratory conditions. So it didn't, nothing new 
happened. There was no origin of a novel new trait or characteristics. It was a pre-existing characteristic that got expressed in a new way in the laboratory conditions. And so here's something that is interesting. When you read on in this article by Dr. Purdom, she mentions that it appears that God made our organisms so that they can adapt under particular circumstances within a limited range with the information he already built into the living cells. And he said it's kind of like having a Swiss army knife that God put into your uh, cells. And you don't necessarily need every tool in the Swiss army knife unless you run into certain circumstances. So if God built into your cells something that if you're out in the wilderness in a sin-broken world, in a post-fall, post-flood world, where now you need this to survive, there are certain things that can be turned on or turned off so that you get to use this tool that wasn't used before. It existed, it was already in the knife, but you didn't need it until that occasion, and under those circumstances, it actually gets expressed. And that is kind of a fascinating way to look at it. There's one other thing, if we've got a little bit more time to talk about, and that's a matter of epigenetics. And in this article by Dr. Purdom, she gets into that a little bit. She mentions the fact that... um, God apparently built into creatures a way so that besides the actual code itself, you know, like I said before, comparing it to typing out a sentence where you have to get all the letters in the right order to form the words in the right order to make the sentence that makes sense, there are chemical tags that also are outside of the genetic code itself, but they express how the genes get get expressed in the individual. And she gave an example uh, of, of like... Um, punctuation. And her example is like this. She said you could have a sentence that says, a woman, comma, without her man, comma, is nothing. Now, the same words, same letters in the same order, punctuated differently, has a completely different meaning. A woman, colon, without her, comma, man is nothing, period. (laughs) It's it's an interesting illustration because it makes the point the same letters, same words, same order, different punctuation gives a different meaning. And she says, so in your genetic code where all the uh, things are in the right order in the DNA itself, these different chemical tags can change what happens when those genes express themselves in the living thing. So, again, this doesn't prove evolution. Instead, it fits very beautifully with a biblical model of creation and that God created things to reproduce after their own kind, which they're still doing, and that there are more complex uh, characteristics to this whole uh, matter of reproduction than human beings ever imagined. Would you like to lead us in a prayer as we conclude this segment? I would be glad to do so. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we are fearfully and wonderfully made that our souls know right well. You are a mighty and merciful, wise creator. And we ask, O Lord, that as we study the works that you have created, that we would not be filled with sinful pride so that we deny your existence or your majesty or power. Instead, O Lord, help us to acknowledge you as our creator and also give thanks to you 
for your redemption that you gave us in Jesus Christ, your Son, who entered our sin-broken world, became a true man born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, suffered and died on the cross as a sacrifice to take away our sins, and rose in victory over death and the grave, that we might have eternal life with you. Strengthen our faith in you, and that we may believe your Bible, your Word, from the beginning, from the very first verse, and find in your Word the message of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Pastor Worth. You're welcome. And that's Warren Worth, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. On the Messenger of Good News Worldwide, KFUO.org, AM850 here in the St. Louis region.